All right, let's get to work. You have, everybody have a handout? Got the handout? Okay, we're going to be moving fairly rapidly. We're going to talk about uh, the bodily resurrection of people, human beings, right? We already know of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Every Sunday we come to church is really practice for Easter Sunday. Why do we have church on Sunday? It's the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. It is a commemoration of what happened in the resurrection of Jesus. It is the Lord's Day. We are not Sabbatarians in that we don't have church on Saturday. Jesus rested in the grave. He kept the Sabbath for us in his righteousness. Sunday, God raised him from the dead. And that is why we have church on Sunday. And that's what we'll celebrate Easter Sunday. So as his resurrection gives us hope, it not only gives us hope for our, our going to heaven, it gives us a hope in the bodily resurrection of believers. So let's talk about resurrection for a little bit. I have it here, a summary statement there on the handout. I'll try to use it as a, as a little bit of a guide. Um, yeah, so let's read that. Resurrection is, here's what resurrection is. Resurrection is rising again with embodiment after death. So let's stop there. When I say embodiment, the physical body rising to meet the spirit. Okay, so the embodiment is what I mean by that. The resurrection of believers is their glorification. And it is the final mighty act of God in our salvation. There's a whole lot packed into that summary, right? But what you have there is our understanding of what the Bible teaches about the bodily resurrection of believers. Jesus went first as a promise for us, of those that believe in Jesus. So let's just, I want to give you four or five things about the resurrection and then we'll go on to talk about uh, the millennial. Here's the first one, number one. What does resurrection do? Resurrection completes the divine work of redemption. So the divine work of redemption is not just the fact that you are now saved and forgiven. There is a, there is a process of what goes on. And resurrection is the completion of the divine work of redemption. Let me give you a couple of scriptures there. Uh, here's the first one. You've got it on your uh, sheet. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, predicted his crucifixion and resurrection. Matthew 16, verse 21 is part of the plan, God's plan. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. You'll notice the language in Matthew. You hear the mustness of that language? that the, the killing of Jesus is not, was not a martyrdom. Don't ever call it a martyrdom. It's not a martyrdom. The killing of Jesus was part of the original plan from the very foundation of the world, and it was part of his plan, and the resurrection is included in that plan. It wasn't God deciding, I'm going to make something good out of something bad. He didn't decide to raise Jesus from the dead after the crucifixion, saying, I'm going to make something good out of something bad. No, resurrection is part of that plan. Christ predicted his crucifixion and resurrection. I'll take it down to the, the next statement. Christ is the prototype of resurrection. Everybody know prototype? Proto, the first one. 
Christ is the prototype of resurrection. A good place to go for that is Colossians chapter 1. You know what, I gave you one verse there. Oftentimes it's good to see what's around the verse. So if you'd like to, you can turn to um, Colossians in the New Testament, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1. Take a look at verse 18. I'll start in verse 17 just to give you context. He is before all things, about Jesus, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He, that is Jesus, He is the head of the body, which is the church, He is the beginning, He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. So, Jesus being raised from the dead is not only securing um, our hope and being forgiven by God because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. It certainly does that. The resurrection of Jesus is a promise that there's more to come. So, he's the first one with many others to follow. Everybody with me on that? That it's not just a stamp of God's approval and the accepted sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. There's, it is that. There's more to it. It is a promise for us. If you go to a funeral, here's the, the promise. If you see a, an open casket or a closed casket, oftentimes the body's not even there. We don't have many open casket funerals anymore. Um, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I was at a hospital visiting the other day. And the nurse at the station, uh, I was dressed up because it was, uh, I don't know why I was dressed up. Maybe it was just because I was dressed up. But anyway, I came in, and uh, she said, you, you're Sunday casket sharp. <laughs> Sunday casket sharp. I said, I'm, I'm all right with being Sunday sharp. <laughs> Not real happy about the... Are you saying that I look like I should be? She said, yeah, yeah, in a casket. You know how they dress people up? I mean, she was stood by her comment. Like, well, there you go. <laughs> Sunday casket. Yeah. Christ is the prototype. I mean, let me give you another verse for this, right? First, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is a beautiful place to go to read about uh, the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great place to hear a summary statement of the gospel. Somebody asks you, what is the gospel? You can start in chapter 15, the first uh, few verses there. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and following. Let me read it to you. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first fruits. Because second and third will follow. Other people will follow. The first fruits of those who fall asleep. For as by man came death. So that's Adam. Adam brought death. Remember sin? Adam brought death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. I'll just keep reading. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So the resurrection of Jesus, he is the prototype. Uh, he is the promise. Answer the phone. That is outstanding. Somebody mark this down, put the date somewhere. Ringing, answered. Wait, don't you? I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt the.
We square? Everything good? All right. Let's move forward. I do love Hicker Grove Baptist Church. You hear me? Amen. All right. What about um, the resurrection completes the divine work of redemption? Here is, join me at C. Christ finishes the work of salvation in resurrection. So the resurrection is Christ finishing the work of salvation in the resurrection. Let me show it to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So that's all of creation. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. As Christians, we have a doctrine of, of the body. We, we're saved not just in spirit, soul, the body. Bodily resurrection is evidence of that. In fact, glorification, resurrection glorification is the completion. There's a golden chain, Romans chapter 8, verse 30. A lot of people will call that the golden chain of salvation, and it talks about some of the stages. And you'll know, just listen to the words. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Those whom he predestined, don't get nervous, those whom he predestined, he called, those whom he called, he justified, those whom he justified, he glorified. See that word glorified? That's the end of our salvation. You with me with that so far? Okay, look like you're with me, okay. Everybody's like, yeah, whatever, let's get to the millennium. All right, I'm not, I'm not rushing past. I'm not rushing past it, even though you want me to. Uh, the second thing, resurrection occurs when Christ returns. When is the bodily resurrection of the believer? That happens when the Lord Jesus returns. I'll give you two verses there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. This is what John says. We will be like him, beloved. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, so that's the second coming, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Another way to put it is in 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, this is the one everybody likes when we talk about uh, the rapture. This is where you go to talk about the rapture. So let me take you there for something besides the rapture. This is the second coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. We'll be with him. The Lord, for the Lord himself, that should be for the Lord himself, will descend from heaven with a cry of command. A couple of things to notice about when Jesus comes. It's loud. A cry of command with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Any trumpet players here? Yeah. So we got, you play the trumpet? I played the cornet. Anybody know what a cornet is? Yeah, I played the cornet in the fifth and sixth grade. I wanted really badly to be a musician. And uh, my parents didn't believe in my ability. <laughs> and so my dad evidently uh, had played this cornet. Now, my dad was born in 1942. When he was in elementary school, it was the 1950s. He had kept it all these years. And so my instrument was a cornet from the 50s that had been dropped. So the, the bell thing was, and it was so loud. And that's the trumpet from me. What about the trumpet of God? So the trumpet of God is going to be loud. 
And when that happens, the dead in Christ will rise first. So believers that have died, when Jesus comes, the resurrection. Everybody with me? Okay, we're building a case. Here's the third thing. Resurrection is both. It's two things. Resurrection is both the embodiment of dead believers in heaven and the change of embodied states for living believers on earth when Jesus comes. Everybody with me here? So Jesus comes, second coming, Jesus comes, and the resurrection, we're calling those that are in the grave, they're dead, and they're raised from the dead, they're going to be changed, and also the changing happens to those that are actually alive on earth when Jesus comes. Okay, all right, so with right there. Let me give you a, um, a couple of verses for that. Well, same, same verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15, 16, 17. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those that are dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of, a, of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. There's that word caught up. That's where we get the word rapture. Caught up. That little phrase is in Greek, raptio. It's where the word rapture comes from, right there. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we'll always be with the Lord. So, resurrection is both the embodiment of dead, those that are dead in Christ, and those that were alive when Jesus comes. Um, there's another verse I'd like to give you. is 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I didn't put it in the handout because the handout gets long. And uh, so I was going to put it on the screens. Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, this is our bodies, we have a building from God, a house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. So let me just pause there. Uh, would you agree that in this tent we groan? Anybody got arthritis? I saw Mr. Reynolds come in and I was like, we just, we just groan, right? We just Spiritual, and we do it physically, too. Your back hurting over there. I know you, Mr. Hegler, your back hurts. You're groaning over there. In this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, looking for that heavenly body. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal might be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Okay, so the resurrection, you've got three points. Let me give you a fourth one, a fourth one. Number four, the resurrected body will be four things. Four things. At least four things. It'll be imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual. 
So if the resurrection body will be those four things, the physical body is the opposite of those four things. So if the resurrection body will be imperishable, it means our bodies now are perishable. We're going downhill. Right? You're aging. You're just degenerating, right? I mean, look at the gray in Mike's beard. It's showing up. <laughs> you feel it, right? That's right. You like that, didn't you? You feel I mean, you're, you just, it just happened. You just feel it. So it, we're the opposite of imperishable. Imperishable, perishable. We are perishing. Glorious. Our bodies will be glorious. Heavenly bodies will be glorious. Resurrection bodies are glorious. The opposite of that is inglorious. We are not glorious now. Our resurrection bodies will be powerful. The opposite of that is that our physical bodies now here on earth are just we're weak. Even the strongest of you, you, there's a limit to that. And then spiritual, it will be spiritual, and then nothing but physical. I get that. I'm, let me show you where I get that. Come down to B there. See that text, 1 Corinthians uh, 15? So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. So we bury a body. Maybe it goes to the crematorium. It's perishable. It disintegrates. It rots. Right? So what is sown is perishable. What is raised in the resurrection, the body of the resurrection of believers, is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, also there's a spiritual body. Four things. The resurrection body that we will be given is imperishable. It is glorious. It is powerful. It is spiritual. Okay, let me get, bring you to the fifth truth about the resurrection that we oftentimes don't think about. Unbelievers will also experience the resurrection. So it's, they're going to experience it differently. A good place to go for that, we're going to get to Revelation 20. That's where everybody goes. It's where you should go to talk about the millennium. But before I get to Revelation 20, I want to call your attention to something Jesus said in, in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all, so that's believers and unbelievers that are in the tombs, that are dead, when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice, that's the voice of the Son of God, and they will come out. So this is everybody. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So bodily resurrection is not just believers. It is everybody that's ever lived and has died will be raised from the dead. You can read in Revelation that those who are in the sea are coming out of the sea. Every particle of dust come together and be raised and those will get to the judgment. Uh, those that are saved will go to heaven. Those that are not saved, ultimately, will go to hell after the resurrection. With that in mind, let me call your attention now to Revelation chapter 20. I wanted to put the millennium after we talked about the resurrection because 
it should be located in the second coming of Jesus. The second coming, uh, the Greek word is parousia. I, I used it down in this handout somewhere accidentally. It's, you'll hear me say the parousia, that is the coming of Jesus. We believe not only in the first coming, the advent, that's what the advent is, first coming of Jesus, we believe also in the parousia, the second coming of Jesus. And the book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is written. The name Revelation is the, um, is the word apocalypse. It is the unveiling of Jesus. So the book of Revelation is written for us to actually see Jesus. With that in mind, go to... Um, oh, it's right there on the piece of paper. Revelation chapter 20. <clears throat> Let me just read it. Then let's go and talk about the millennium a little bit. How much did y'all talk about any of this last week? Mike, did y'all talk about any of the millennium? You just told him it was coming, right? Yeah. The guys you work with, this is what they do for you. All right, I'm telling you, yeah. All right, let's read it and just talk about it. Let's read it, and just as you read it, you sort of read it with a, a, an inquisitive eye. You're asking questions. We're always asking questions about the Bible. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. So there's no question who he's talking about there and bound him for a thousand years. I probably would circle that phrase, a thousand years. Bound for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he may, may not deceive the nations any longer, until, so you see that God is completely in control, that this is not a, a, a fight between two equal parts. God is sovereign over Satan, right? He controls what he does with him. So he might not deceive any nations any longer until the thousand years is ended. So Satan will be bound for a thousand years. That thousand years will come to an end. Then when that is ended, after that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw the thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been, behead, who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands, as you've heard the mark of the beast. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life. So only those that are believing in Christ came to life. They were there for the thousand years, reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So now here comes a second resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So after the thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Now this is the second. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, let's talk about millennium just for a little bit. Let's give a summary statement. 
the millennium is the name for the future period in relation to the second coming of Jesus. It's a Latin word, mille, M-I-L-L-E, means a thousand, and uh, annum, per annum, per year, annum means year, put the two together, millennium, a thousand years. So let, let me talk about the first, uh, let me talk about the views. There are four primary views. There are a lot of views, but there are four kind of primary views. I'll, I'm going to name them, then I'll come back and uh, talk about them. An amillennial view, or amillennialism, means that the millennium is sort of with the current church age that it could be going on right now. There's not any real demarcation. It's not dependent on anything else in the Bible. Understanding the Bible, um, by the way, these views I'm talking about are within the bounds of Christian orthodoxy. Now, there are some views that are just sort of crazy. What I'm talking about are Christian people believe these. So, amillennialism is a millennium in the current church age. post Millennial. See the word. Hear the word post. After the thousand years, postmillennialism is a golden age after which Christ will return. So that Christ will become will come after. Okay, and then premillennialism. Within premillennialism, there are two different spots. That's why I say four. Premillennialism is that the return of Christ will come before, pre, the millennium. Okay. And within premillennialism is historic premillennialism. I'll get to that in a minute. You don't have to write anything yet. I'm just telling you. Historic premillennialism and also pre-tribulational. So you've heard people say pre-trib, pre-mill. So that, that has been the popular view from about... Uh, 1900 up to really probably 19, the 1980s or so. So we'll talk about that as well. Before we talk about the points of disagreement, let's talk about the points of agreement. What are the things that Orthodox Christians believe? When I say Orthodox, I mean what is the basic Christianity? What is allowed within Christianity? What do we believe? I'll give you a couple of points we all agree on. We agree, we agree on the return of Jesus, the second coming of Christ. We agree that there is a visible bodily return of Jesus, that we will see it, it'll happen, it'll be a real historical moment. We, re, we agree the return of Christ. Here's the second thing we agree on. We agree on the actual bodily resurrection. We don't think that it's just something spiritual. We, we think that the Bible teaches, Orthodox Christianity says, that those that died in Christ will be raised bodily from the dead. We believe in the bodily resurrection. Not just of Jesus, of those that are believers. Third thing we agree on. <clears throat> we agree that there will be a final judgment. And at that final judgment, those who are in Christ, spend eternity with God, those who are not will go to hell. It's basic Christianity. Maybe the fourth thing we, we agree on. We agree that there is, I, I sort of showed my hand there, we agree that there is eternal life for the righteous. That's the fourth thing. We agree that there is eternal 
death for the unrighteous. The sixth thing we agree on that we don't talk about much, we sort of talk about heaven, we don't talk about Revelation chapter 21, 22, that then speaks to, but Orthodox Christianity agrees, in the new heaven and the new earth. So, everybody with me here so far? Okay, that's the easy things we agree on, right? What are the points of disagreement? There are two areas of disagreement. One is going to be, I listed it second, I should have listed it first. One is uh, the millennium. Where is the thousand years in relation to the coming of Jesus? Where does it fit? There is disagreement on that. And then um, another disagreement within premillennial life is the tribulation. Where does the actual tribulation fit in relation to the, to the parousia, to the second coming of Jesus? So let's talk about the first two camps of millennialism that we probably knew none of us fit in. We're probably, there'll be some of us, but most of us don't fit into the group of ah, millennialism. <clears throat> give you some characteristics of ah, millennialism. Amillennialism is a, typically a non-literal approach to understanding the thousand years found in Revelation. By the way, all of these views take Revelation 20 as the proof text. So, so they just have a different way of understanding Revelation 20. Amillennialism is a non-literal approach, um, and Satan's binding is, is God right now is currently restraining him, and God's restraining of Satan right now enables the gospel to advance in the world that's going on right now, and we're not waiting on the thousand years. We're in it. So there are some people, conservative Christians that love the Bible, that um, view the millennium as an amillennial approach. Okay, here's the second view. The second view is post. By the way, amillennialism... Uh, didn't show up till, till a little later in Christian history. Postmillennialism, um, it's an that's an odd one to me. Because uh, postmillennialism believes that there will be a golden age that is emerging out of the current period, and things will continue to get better as the world is more and more Christianized. And it doesn't, you know, nobody, right. This got, let me tell you when this got popular. Let me tell you when this got popular. So, uh, when Christianity became legal, Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity, made it state religion of Rome, and at that point, Rome everywhere, and so Christianity was on the move, missionaries going everywhere, Rome was spread across the world, and the idea was that now the world is going to be Christianized. That's when it started to... But then you go into the Dark Ages, and everybody's like, oh, that didn't work. So they put that to sleep for a little while. And you came through the Reformation. And then when, when German scholars got a hold of the Bible and started uh, and, and went liberal, it happened in, in the late 1800s, um, this gave rise to a social gospel. Watered down what it means to actually be a Christian, uh, and Christian was more in Christian lifestyle and helping people, 
And then postmodernism, I mean, not postmodern, post, um, what are we talking about? Yeah, thank you. I've said millennialism about 7,000 times today, so forgive me. Uh, postmillennialism started to show up again, and the idea was this real optimistic view of what's going on now, and it's only going to get better. It happened in the 19, uh, early 1900s, then, of course, something, something hurt it. You know what it was? World War I, the Great War, uh, said no, when millions in Europe died. We, we, didn't, we lost some, not in America, we didn't feel as much. So we sort of kept that alive until World War II. And the atrocities, once again, hit, so it was completely eradicated in Europe. It stayed alive here in America just because we are pretty well optimistic about a whole lot of things. The 50s, suburbs, post it felt like it was a liberal view of the end. That's for the most part gone. We just don't hear much about that anymore. So, our millennial, post-millennial. A gradual, getting better, Christ will come. That leaves us with premillennialism. Premillennialism is where most, I say most, most evangelical Christians land. If you think about these things. This is sort of where we end up. And within premillennialism, there are two camps. They're very close to each other, but they are some, there are some differences. One camp is called, called historic premillennialism. The other is pre-tribulation or dispensationalism. They got really popular uh, in the turn of the century, 1900s. John Darby, he was a Plymouth brethren, actually a Quaker, sort of came up with it. And uh, Schofield, anybody got a Schofield Bible? Okay, Schofield Bible. Schofield popularized it. Uh, Ryrie did the same thing. And um, if, you, if you think about dispensationalism, uh, Dallas Theological Seminary is sort of the seminary that, that taught dispensationalism. They have since um, sanded it down a little bit, but, but it's essentially the same. Okay, so you have two different camps. Let me talk about first about um, historic premillennialism. What is that belief? Historic premillennialism believes that the church will go through the tribulation. Whereas dispensationalism believes that the church will be raptured out before the tribulation. That's the major difference between the two. That is the difference between the two. So historic premillennialism, uh, the church will go through the tribulation experiencing some of the sufferings. You can find some of that in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Um, Paul writes, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but should also suffer. Acts chapter 14, verse 22, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Another passage would be 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. That no, one, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, 
just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. Paul wrote to Timothy about affliction. Um, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So all of these speak about tribulations, not necessarily the, the tribulation. You see the difference? Small t, big t, tribulation. I would like to take you to a passage in Matthew 24 that may, in some ways, point to the tribulation. Matthew 24, Jesus speaks of the end. This passage is used, uh, it's a good text for premillennial thought. By the way, premillennialism uh, was the, the reason it's called historic premillennialism is because from the beginning, up till about the third century of Christianity, uh, historic premillennialism was the thought. So the very first thoughts on eschatology was historic premillennialism. Fourth century, Augustine got a hold of all that was going on, and it sort of went amillennial, it stayed that way <clears throat> until it came back around along with um, the pre-trib premillennialism. They sort of came, became popular again about the same time. But Matthew 24, let me call your attention to it. Let's just, let, let me take you to verse 21 or so. I would even back up to verse 20 that says, this is Jesus talking, and he says, Pray that your flight might not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, that is still small t, great tribulation, but I, it feels like it's describing the tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human, no human being would be saved. But, look at this little phrase here. For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Sounds, anytime in the New Testament you see the word elect, it's talking about God's people purchased in Christ as the church. Okay? Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, even if possible, the elect. See, I've told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Matthew 24, Jesus speaking, it has the feel of premillennial church going through. Okay, let me give you another, let me give you another verse. Uh, you know what, that's enough verse there. Let's go to pre, so that's the pre, historic premillennialism. All right, now let's go to, let's go to the premillennial pre-tribulation. This came out of dispensationalism. It was the dominant view of most of evangelical Christianity from about the turn of the century in the 1900s for about 80 to 100 years. The reason it became such a popular view, a couple of reasons. 
One is those that held it had a high regard for the Bible. They loved the Bible. They trusted it as the authority of, of God, that it is God's word, and therefore they held it in such high regard. A lot of great scholars that I still uh, think the world of, John MacArthur. I know John MacArthur? Yeah, so John MacArthur still holds to pre-trib, pre-millennial view of eschatology. I'm sorry? That's what the Bible says? I'm sorry? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Well, that, that is, uh, there is room in First Thessalonians to understand it as believers being called up to the air, right? And then the, yeah, to meet, to meet Jesus in the air. And then there's the idea in that passage that you have the thousand-year reign after that, right? But with the tribulation becoming after. So let's look at pre-trib. Pre-trib. This is the classic text of 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. That the church will be removed from the earth before the tribulation. Classically known as the rapture. Now, those that believe in a pre-millennial historic go through the tribulation still believe in the rapture. Right? Still believe that they're going to be raised Meet the Lord in the air. So believe this text. They just believe it happened after the tribulation. Okay. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died, rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You with me so far? So those that have died? For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have died. Okay. So here's the, the crucial verses. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. So this is where we get in trouble with the rapture. Because oftentimes... Um, a pre-trib view believes that there is a secret rapture that pulls the church out before the tribulation. You with me so far? Okay, what you have to do, you have to do some work to make that, the text actually say that. Because the way this is described as the coming of Jesus, this rapture is described as the Lord descending from heaven, there is a cry of command, there's a voice of an archangel, there's a sound of a trumpet. So here comes Christ raising those from the dead, those that are in Christ and still alive, they ascend to meet Christ in the air, according to this passage, right? Those that are alive, they're caught up with Him in the clouds and will be with the Lord and then Paul adds this to it. Hey, you, you should encourage one another. These are words of encouragement. Yes, ma'am. 
caught up with the Lord in the air, right? So then you have a thousand year reign on earth. Where Christians will rule according to Revelation 20. Now this is where we go to Revelation 20. Go back to Revelation 20. Revelation 20 talks about the thousand year reign of Jesus that is, Jesus has come, right? Thousand year reign, Christians are reigning with him. When that is over, the second resurrection, according to Revelation 20, is those that are dead and not Christians. They are raised and then judged. And then after that, that's the second death. Yeah. And then after that, uh, you have, you can read Revelation 21, 22, the new heavens and the new earth. Those that are in Christ, go to heaven. Those that are not in Christ, go to hell. Everybody completely confused? I, I do, let me, let me say this. I think whether you are pre-trib or post-trib, I think that the, the best, easiest to read, plainest version of the coming of Christ is a pre-millennial view before the thousand years. Christ comes, thousand-year reign, afterward, Satan is thrown in the lake of fire. Those that are not saved are as well. Those that are, are with God forever. Okay. Let me put another asterisk on it. There are really good Christians that love Jesus, love the Bible, that disagree with me on that. This is not a test of whether or not they're believers. That Mike, you probably told us last week, the third tier. Yeah. Third tier issue. Okay. Marshall. Yes. Yes. That's when so so a dead body in the ground decaying, called out of the ground, that now is going to be an embodiment, a new body, and then from there, right, the thousand year. Right. Yeah. Uh, I I hate to even do it. Are there other questions? Yes, ma'am. Take me to where on the sheet where you are. Okay, that's a pre-tribulational view. So before the tribulation, the church, uh, those who believe that, believe the church is removed from the earth, right? Okay, so now what's your question? Okay, yeah, that's that's included in that, right? That is so the rapture is those that are the dead in Christ. This is a description of what this is stating. The dead in Christ will rise. That's the church being raptured in the pre-tribulational view. So you put the two together. Yeah, you, you, you have it, you, you've got it right. You just have it separated. Yeah. Yes, sir.
No, the, the one uh, key verse for those that believe in a pre-trib rapture. Well, all premillennials believe in a rapture, right? All, all of them believe in, in being raised up, meeting the Lord in the air, is that verse. That is the, and then Revelation 20 is used by all views of the millennium. So if you want to talk about the thousand-year reign, whether you believe in a pre or post or ah, or there's some mid-trib, pre, I mean, there's some, just a whole bunch. But the four main views, everybody goes to Revelation 20. That is where it's described. So if you keep reading Revelation 20, Revelation 21, Revelation 22, it's a beautiful description of how the end comes about, including the new heaven and the new earth. Don't be afraid of the book of Revelation. Any other questions before we go? Well, it is clear. It is clear. In my estimation, it's clear. Yes, ma'am. That, it, it certainly is. I'm not sure what the... Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's right. So most everybody believes in the bodily resurrection of Christians. Oh, the church. You're, you're talking about whether it's a pre-tribulation or a post Yeah. Uh, nobody disagrees that the church will leave. They just disagree as to will it be before tribulation or after. Daniel chapter 9 is a good place to go. Yeah, so that so that's where you that's where we go over into dispensationalism. We'll do a, a real clear division. This is where it gets confusing, but you have a real clear division of Israel and the church in in dispensationalism. And if, but if you're not a dispensationalist, uh, then you have a little closer association between the two. You have to jump into dispensationalism to to have that. That's probably a discussion for another day. But it's a good, it's a worthwhile discussion. Just a discussion for another day. All right. Father, we thank you for the promise we have in Christ of the resurrection of our bodies. We trust what your word says. We love it. We love to study your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that has convicted us and brought us to faith in Jesus. We pray that you give us um, great patience and great boldness to share Christ with people that we might not only pray for the one we've identified, but that we might have the opportunity to share Christ. We pray that tomorrow you wake us up in enough time to spend time in your word, bring us back Sunday ready to worship the Lord Jesus. We pray for great safety for our people, and that tonight you might be honored here. In Jesus' name, amen.